Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. All right, so this morning we are continuing in our series, Six Words That Will Change Your Life. Um, If you engage in one of these words, we're doing one word a week. Um, Actually, since we canceled for snow, uh, we got five words um, because we're going to do the the vision series uh, was kind of set, and we wanted to get to that. And so we're, we're kind of combining two words this morning. We're going to combine sorry and help. And uh, basically, it's going to be mostly about help. So the sorry part is kind of going to go away. But today, we're going to talk about help. And help is help's a hard word. Help is a difficult word this morning. I think it's one of the most difficult words that we're going to walk through. But help is also one of the words that I believe that if we engage in, we'll have one of the most significant Transform, has some of the most significant transforming powers um, in our lives. We don't like the word help. We don't like to ask for help. I mean, we can be in a situation where we know we need help, and we won't ask for it. We're just going to, like, keep going. There's a season in my life, there was a situation in my life um, <laughs> where we had just moved in to our new house, and then there was a wall, a large wall in Benjamin's room that was wallpapered, and uh, I went to go tear down the wallpaper, and I didn't know what I was doing. And I, and I went and tore it, and we tore the paper on the, on the drywall. And that looked not good. But then as we ripped the, the wallpaper off, we also noticed that there was like this huge hole that the contractors had put into the wall, but they had covered it with a metal plate and the wallpaper. And they're like, no one will see this metal plate. No one will see this wall. Well, we pulled it off and there's this huge hole covered with this metal plate behind the drywall. And we're like, uh-oh. And so we had a decision to make. Do we replace the wall? Do we rip it out? Or do we just drywall over top of it? And we just chose, you know what? We're just going to put up new drywall over top of it. And I was like, I can do this. I've been on mission trips enough to where I could hang some drywall. And so I hung the drywall and that part went really well. And then there was the part of drywalling that I've never done. And that was mudding. And I understood mudding in concept. I watched a couple YouTube videos. I'm like, you put the tape down, you put the mud down. I was like, the point of mudding is to cover the holes and end up with a smooth wall if you do it right. So I mud and like, man, boy, do I mud. <laughs> Let's just say I'm mudded. And, um, and I'm, I'm then standing. Because I mudded, I'm standing. And I'm standing a lot. And I'm just, I've put in a lot of elbow grease. I don't have a sander. I'm standing by hand. And I'm just at this point of exhaustion. And I'm just like, you know what? I think I need some help. And my father-in-law is a contractor. He does this. And so I asked my father-in-law, I humbled myself. I'm like, hey, can you come? Can you come look at my wall? He's like, yeah, I'd love to. Love to. And he comes look at my wall. And he's like, yep, you mudded. <laughs> you definitely mudded. And I was like, any, any way you can like, help me out and fix it? He's like, yeah. He's like, I can help you out. And, he's like, and, I, and he helped me out with joy and with love, and with character, but you know what he did? He sanded it all off, and he started all over. Like, he just, all that work, all that effort, gone, but he did it with a joyful heart, and he muttered it up, and we have a beautiful wall in Benjamin's room right now, um, because he came, and he helped me, and it's, it's tough. It's tough to ask for help, but the reality is, is that the help is one of the, kind of the first words that we learn when we're young. Help is a word that, like, Benjamin knows right now, we've been trying to teach him, instead of getting angry and frustrated when he needs help, we try and ask him, you know, can you say help? Can you ask for help? We're trying to train him to ask 
for help in places that he needs help. And so um, I know that it's probably only going to increase as he gets older. Help, help, help. And then the thing is, is that at the end of life, we also kind of get in this season where we're like, we can't do the things that we used to do on our own. Like we can't shower on our own. We can't go to the bathroom on our own. There are things that we just, our life begins to be this place where we rely on the help of others. And so the beginning of life, we begin helpless and and needing a ton of help. We, you know, Benjamin came out not changing his own diapers. He's still not changing his own diapers. He needs help there. And like, and we end kind of that way too. We end in that place of help too. And somewhere in the middle, we forget that we need help. We forget that. We, we think that we can do this on our own. And there's kind of like a number of reasons why we don't ask for help in our lives. There are a number of reasons. One is that we don't want to look weak. I think that's the biggest one. It's like our pride gets in the way. We just don't want to look weak. The other reason why I don't ask for help is that we just don't want to be exposed. We don't want to be exposed for not knowing something that we thought that we should know or that we think that other people think that we should know. We just don't want to be exposed and judged and feel some type of shame. So we don't ask for help. We also don't ask for help because we don't want to be indebted to somebody else. We don't want to feel like, oh, you came along, you helped me, now I need to go help you. Like, we just, we hate that feeling of indebtedness. And so we're like, I'm, I'm just not going to ask for help because I don't, I'm not going to be indebted to anybody. <laughs> we also don't ask for help um, because we're afraid that somebody's going to take over. Or, you know, you ever ask for help and then somebody's like, here, I'll just do it for you. And you're like, that's, that's not what I wanted. Like, I wanted, I wanted you to come beside me, but I didn't necessarily want you to come come and take over, but sometimes some of the best help is when they come and take over. Like, it was great that my father-in-law could drywall that wall for me. It was awesome. I didn't have to do anything. He just did it for me. It was awesome help that he was able to come and do that. We also don't ask for help um, when we don't, because we don't know that we need it. I mean, sometimes we're just like blissfully unaware. We're just like going through life like, I'm good. Everything's good. And like everyone else around you is like, that person needs some help. And, and there's some places where, like, we just don't know. And so help is this hard word, and so we need to learn to ask for help. But before we can ask for help, what I want us to say is I think it's helpful to hear that you need help. And so what I have planned for us this morning is like a mini intervention, and I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to say to your neighbor, you need help. So go ahead. Turn to your neighbor. You need help. All right, now I want you to turn to your neighbor and respond to their intervention and say, I need help. I need help. All right, the reality is is that you and I, we need help. We need help, and we were made for help. We were made for it. We were made for help. The words, my help, happen all over the Bible, and oftentimes these words, my help, refer to God. One of the words for the Holy Spirit in Scripture is the helper. The helper will come. The helper will come and fill you and live inside of you and be inside of you. And Jesus says, I will send my helper to to live with you and to guide you. And so the helper is our God. And we were designed to live with dependence upon our God. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6, it says, The Lord is my helper, whom shall I fear? You and I were made for help. And with this idea of being made for help, there's this kind of secret that I need to let you guys in on, is that is that we were never made for independence. We were never 
made for independence. And I know, I know that that goes against kind of everything we're taught in this country. It kind of goes against one of the key cornerstone values of this country is that we are independent and free. But that is the values of this earthly kingdom and this earthly place. And it is not the values of eternity. And so we are not in this place where we need to go in to independence. Actually, what we were created for and what the kingdom of God was made for was for complete and constant dependence and surrender to God and his love and his affection for us. And so the goal of our life should not be independence, but rather it should be dependence. And dependence is the scary word that Like I said, the rest of the world rebels against and they're like, no, you don't want dependence in your life. You want independence. We spend our entire childhood getting to this place of independence. And there is a good part of growing up and becoming able to be independent, but independence should never be the end goal. The only thing that we were designed and meant to be independent of was sin. We were built to be independent upon sin and we were built to be dependent upon the love and grace of our God. The lie of independence is that in becoming independent, we will find true identity, we will find true, true strength, and we will find true purpose. But the reality is, is that when we live in independence, what happens is, is that we live a life that is hidden, we live a life that's isolated, and we live our life that is incredibly alone, and it leads to this place of death. And the truth of dependence, the truth of this life of help and dependence upon God is a life of community, joy, and love, and life. Like, this is what God has for us. And so it takes courage. It takes courage to say that we need help. It takes courage to say that dependence is better than independence and that life is going to be found in dependence rather than independence. And so it takes courage to begin to have that begin to change in our mind to say, you know what, I'm going to give up my pride. I'm going to give up what I think I know. I give, I'm going to give all of that up, and I'm going to surrender to someone else and let them help me out. It takes an incredible amount of courage to do that. But what happens is that we don't ask for help generally, and what often happens is that the small character flaw in our life will begin to turn into a place of crisis. And so when we don't ask for help, our small little character flaws slowly over time will evolve into a place of crisis in our lives. And so something kind of small, like going over a budget every once in a while, and then going over a budget kind of month to month, can then turn into this place of like deep debt and crisis and shame. You can also kind of be in this place where you could have a bunch of mini conflicts in your marriage and maybe those mini conflicts grow into greater conflicts. And if you don't ever get help and you don't ever get mediation, you don't ever get understanding, then eventually marriage ends in divorce. You have some behaviors that maybe you engage in and they're not healthy ones and they uh, turn into habits and then those habits then turn into addictions and those addictions turn into like binding chains that lead to guilt and shame. Maybe just even basic flirtation in your workplace can lead to an affair. Maybe living a life that's just sarcastic or a life that's negative or a life that's always critical of others. Like that's, that will eventually lead to a place of isolation, loneliness, and depression. And so there are all these things that if we don't ask for help, if we don't humble ourselves, will eventually lead to crisis. And when we don't ask for help, what ends up happening is that 
we end up living kind of like what I would call conventionally decent lives. Because I think that this is what most of us live. I think this is what most of the world lives, is they live conventionally decent lives. They ask for help when they really, really need it. But as far as like living transparent lives, as far as, as, far as living lives that are inviting people in to see the junk that's in my life, and to be able to name those things and to be able to ask for help transparently, like those things just don't exist. Those things are not happening. And so we might pray, we might go to church, we might be in a discipleship group, but when it comes to our character flaws, we like keep those things kind of vaguely in the background. And we're like, let's not, let's not look at those unless they just come exploding out. And then you end up becoming the victim of that. But like, until then, let's just like keep those at bay and let's just live conventionally decent Christian lives and we'll just go on pretending that everything is okay. We won't let the areas of greed and lust and gratitude and frustration and impatience and pride well up. We're going to keep those places hidden. And these are the areas of our independence. And the reality is, is that these are the areas that we need help. So you need help. I need help. We all need help, and we were made for help. And so the question this morning is, is that are you going to make asking God to help you and deliver you the number one priority of your life? Are you just going to pretend that those things are not there and that eventually one day they're just going to go away and hopefully with enough time passing, we will be able to survive whatever it is that we're trying to keep hidden? right now. There is a story in the Bible of a couple named Ananias and Sapphira, and they're in the book of Acts. Uh, they're members of this new Jesus community that's, uh, being, that's happening in Jerusalem. And this community that Ananias and Sapphira find themselves in, they're marked by a couple key things. The first one is just this radical pursuit and following of Jesus. The other one is just incredible generosity and hospitality. And so people are selling all of their stuff. They're laying it at the disciples' feet. They're trusting the disciples to, to divide these things up. They're moving from lives of independence to lives of dependence, where they're going to depend upon one another. And they're laying them at the disciples' feet. And then there's Ananias and Sapphira. And they've got this field. And they've got a decision to make with this field. And somewhere in all of this community and all, of this, all that's happening around them, they have this character issue that pops up inside of them. And maybe it's that they want to be respected. Maybe it's that they, they're afraid to give up everything because they've got this field and they're, they're considering, do we sell the field and do we give everything to the disciples or what do we do about this? And they, they kind of create the scheme. And we're going to read the story here in a second. But, I mean, they're just in this place where they're just like, we want to be accepted by this community, but man, we're afraid that, that being a part of this community is going to cost too much. And so maybe we, we want to keep back some for ourselves. We really don't know what's going on in their hearts other than they planned this deception. <laughs> they planned this deception, and they have plotted in their hearts to live a divided life. They decide in their hearts, you know what, I'm going to live this life that says one thing, but in the background, this other thing is going to happen. And so I want to read for us in Acts. It's Acts chapter 5, if you guys want to turn there and follow the story of Ananias and Sapphira. 
So chapter 5, it says this. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and, bought, and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Well, remain unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these things, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. While the young men came in and found her, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. So Ananias and Sapphira, they had this field, and they sell it, and they have this choice to make. They can either go to the apostles and say, yep, this is the field, this is the cost that we sold it at, and we're giving the church everything because they wanted to fit in with the rest of the community that was also giving everything. But there was this fear inside of them that if they gave everything, they might not have enough. And so they keep some of that back, and they lie to the disciples. And so what goes on is that Ananias and Sapphira, they live this double life. They're, they're living this idea of that I want God, but I also want to hold on and indulge into the things that I know that God is opposed to. That's what's going on here. And what's happening is their independence is at war with their dependence, the dependence upon this community. And what they do is that, well, <laughs> they choose their independence while trying to look like they're being dependent. And what they do is they deceive this community. They hold back some from the community that they're looking to enter into and say, we're going to be dependent upon. And they kind of cheat that community. And God responds, and it costs them dearly, and it costs them immediately. The story and the truth of Ananias is that like, when we hide these things, we die. The Ananias and Sapphira story, in many ways, and many scholars have seen this, as, is that this is kind of a retelling of the fall, but in the New Testament. That this is the first time that sin creeps into the church. And when it does, God says, no, it shall not be so with you guys. It shall not be so. And death, unlike the fall in the beginning of creation, that comes delayed, it comes immediately for Ananias and Sapphira. But we also find in the Bible, and what we also find in the church in this area, in this season, and that is still true for our season, is that the Holy Spirit has come in great power to this body of believers. It's come in great power. He's given the church the power of the kingdom of God, the power to heal the power to rise up against injustice, the power to have freedom over sin, the power to bring reconciliation to two opposing groups, two groups that don't understand each other, two groups that don't get each other, to bring reconciliation to make them one 
people, the power of God is with them to be able to do that incredible act of bringing Jews and Gentiles together under one name and worship in the same place from different cultures and different backgrounds. The power to forgive one another, the power to have grace for one another, that's what this community is about, and that's what this community, our community, here at Damascus Road is also about, is that God has unleashed his power upon us. And in the book of James, what we see written, and it's in the book of James, James is written by Jesus' brother, and he's one of the like, key leaders in the Jerusalem church. And so what he says in the book of James is this, is that we should come together and that we should confess our sins to one another and pray for one another so that we might be healed. James is saying is that when people reveal their sin to one another and when we begin to ask and confess our help, that we need help and that we have a need in God, that that is when people get healed. That when we reveal what's hidden, we get healed. When we high, we die. And when we reveal, we get healed. There is spiritual power that begins to flow when people get real about their flaws and their sins and their need from God. Power flows when we get real about our weakness. And we are weak. We are really weak people. We were made weak, and we have thought that we've had to be strong in the process. There is this critique of church out in the world, and this critique of church is that uh, church and religion and Jesus and God, all of that is just a crutch for people who are too weak to make it in this life without that. But it's just basically that is for weak people. And for some reason, the church has replied to this critique. And I don't know if it's because we don't like being criticized or if it's because we don't like the content of the critique. But the church has responded in some way with puffed up chest saying, we're not weak. We're a strong group of people. And I think the reality is that we don't like the content of the critique. We don't like to look weak. We don't like to think that we're a bunch of weak people. But the reality is, is that when people come with that critique and they're like, you know what, your faith, your Jesus, your religion, all of that is a crutch because you're a weak person. You know what I say? I say, absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely, I'm weak. That's, that's the whole point of Jesus. Jesus says that <laughs> in your weakness, my power becomes perfected. And so we as the church need to begin to own and name that we, we are this weak group of people. And you better believe that Jesus is the crutch. He is the crutch. He is our strength. And that without him, we have nothing. This is the life that we should live, is this life of help, this life that calls out to God and asks for help. The reality is, is that when we become prideful and we feel like that we cannot appear weak, and that we have to be this community that's strong, that we have to be this community with puffed up chests, that have it all together, that are the moral police of the world. When we start pretending and acting like that, guess what's happening? We begin hiding. We, and we begin hiding our own weakness, and we pretend that we're going to be strong. Guess what our hiding begins to do with the rest of the community? The rest of the community begins to realize, you know what, this is a place where I can come and hide. And so we all start coming to this place instead of being real and authentic and transparent and, and messy with one another. Instead, we just hide. 
and we put on masks, and then we put on pretense, and then we enter this place of isolation and ultimately despair. And so you might be thinking, well, my hiding, my personal hiding doesn't affect anyone, but it does. It does. It affects the entire community. It affects the entire community. And so what we lean into is that it is in our weakness. God's strength, God's power is made perfect. And the goal is not that we would someday become strong enough and unplug ourselves from this power. I think sometimes we think that that's what discipleship is. We talk about discipleship. We talk about growing in our faith. We're just like, well, someday I'm going to be strong enough to fight my own demons. That's not what any of that's about. The reality is that we'd be constantly aware of our weakness and that we would constantly lean into the power and strength of our God and that he would continue to fight our demons for us, that our strength would be found in him. And this happens when we get real and and his power flows when we live in a community that is full of deep confession, honesty, and cleansing. And this is the church that Jesus came to plant. Jesus came planting a church where we could be real and honest and open and transparent and just kind of like let all of our mess out with one another and that we would greet each other with forgiveness and grace and humility and that we would be each other's help and that we would lift each other up. This is the way that God wanted his church to function. And so this week, I've got a couple practices. I have three practices for us that we can begin to engage in to help us walk out this idea of help and how help can become real in our own life. And the first one is that we would just take time to pray, that we would live a life of prayerful examine before God, and that we would pray before God, and that we would pray a very simple prayer. It's one word prayer, and that prayer is help. Help in and of itself is a prayer. It's a prayer that we can cry out to God, God, help! And he will respond and he will be near. Well, this prayer practice of asking God for help is this prayer of reflection. It's of kind of taking the time in our day. And I know we're busy. I know we don't like to take time to reflect because reflection is painful. But if we take this time to to carve out some time in our day, take some time to enter in some painful places, know that God is going to bring some healing along with it. And so we take some time and we carve away some space. So we just spend some time with God just saying, God, I know that these are the things that rose up in my life today that were ugly, that I needed to lean into help, and I chose not to. And then there's this place where we also invite God to search us further. The psalmist David says this. He says, Search my heart, O God, and see if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. And so there's this invitation in help that can say, God, show me what I'm doing wrong. Show me where I'm missing. Reveal those things to me and lead me in the way of everlasting. I'm going to trust in your wisdom and your grace. And so we need to take some time and confess all that is hidden with our God, all that we hide throughout the day, and just make it known. And this isn't a place where we, like, should on ourselves. Shannon says this all the time. He's like, we shouldn't should on ourselves. And what that is is that there's times where this practice and this prayer that we can come together and we can just create a list of saying, well, I should have done this, or I should have done that, or I should have, and we should on ourselves the whole way. And then we ask God, God, what should I have done today? And we try and hear the voice of God and we hear and we try and hear God to should on us too. And we're just like, well, if I could just 
do all of these shoulds, then everything would be great. And I'm like, no, that's not the point of this at all. But this is the trap that we get into when we think that we're asking for help because we think we need to be strong. We think that we need to be able to do it. We need to think that eventually we can outpace our own demons and that we don't need the power of God. That's not what this is about at all. This place of examining our lives is an invitation of just confession and of being known and of being okay in weakness and allowing the love and the grace of God to wash over you. The reality is is that the more we allow ourselves to be known, the more we allow these things that are hidden to become made known, the more that we can experience love. Because there's this voice in the back of our head when we have things that are hidden and that people say that they love us, there's this question of like, well, if they knew this about me, would they still love me? And when you begin to reveal all of these things and reveal them to the God who made you, who knit you together in previous verses in the psalm, a couple verses ago, who knit you together in your mother's womb, you begin to make yourself known, the more and more you can just feel God love you, feel the presence and peace of God come over you and begin to transform you. So it's not about trying harder. It's not about being better, but it's about being present and then hearing from God places where in the future you can begin to ask for God's help sooner, where we can begin to identify our weakness sooner and begin to ask for help for God to lean into that sooner. So that's the first practice, prayer. Pray the prayer of help in your life. The second practice that we can engage into, this one's a lot harder, a lot more painful. The first one's painful, but we're like, it's just between God and I, and he knows everything, so it's kind of good. Like, you know, there's a little bit of peace there. This one's tough. This one is confess your sins and your mess to others. Confess them in community to others. We need a place where we can have the freedom to confess without judgment, without condemnation, but instead be met with grace and love and peace, and where people can come beside us in our weakness and in our mess and say, I'm here to help. I'm here to pray with you. I'm here to be present to you. And the reality is that this is incredibly painful. This is incredibly hard because no one wants to look at their stuff. And no one wants other people to look at their stuff too. I mean, it's, it's nasty what can come out. It just is. But the reality is that when we come together and we get honest about our stuff, people get healed. When I was in college, I was a part of a group of guys who would get together once a week and we would do this. We would share our stuff with one another. And at first, it was really hard. At first, we were testing each other out. We were just making sure it was a safe place. But once we came to this place where we knew that it was safe and we could trust one another, guess what happened? People started to get healed. We were able to bring God into these places of our compulsions, and God was able to to bring freedom and healing. It was like changing your appetite. You know, if you've been on a diet for some time, like eventually your appetite changes. There's a time where I went vegetarian for a week, and I liked lettuce at the end of the week. Someone placed a bowl of lettuce in front of me, and my mouth like salivated. That never happens, for those of you who know me. I don't like vegetables. But in a week time, changing my diet, changing, <laughs> getting rid of the toxin, getting rid of the junk, my appetite changed. And that's what happened in this group is that we saw the kingdom of God break through and start saving guys from stuff. And it was beautiful and it was good. And so maybe you need to get a group of a couple guys, a couple girls 
closest friends. This isn't you just go and run up to anybody that has an ear and tell them everything. Like, this is get a couple people, bring them together, and, begin, and even make a covenant. Make a covenant with these people and say, hey, we're, we're about to get real. We're about to share stuff that we, we just really wouldn't share with anyone else. But we want healing. We want God to break through. And we believe that God heals in this space. So we're going to do that. Maybe that's what we need to begin to engage in this week. Maybe for you, maybe, maybe there isn't a group of close friends. When I moved to Madison, I knew no one. I was really detached from community. And I was, I was pretty successful at community before. I had a lot of close friends. But I moved to Madison knowing no one. And I just remember, I remember Thanksgiving, being at my parents, lying on the floor in the living room, just crying my eyes out, just saying, I need help. I need help. And I didn't know where to go to get help from. And eventually some of my closer contacts were like, maybe you just need to go get some counseling. I was like, yeah, maybe I do. And so I went and I, I got counseling. And I was in counseling for about nine months. And in that nine months, like it was in counseling that I had the freedom to just kind of share everything. Share everything. Like this person was safe. And so maybe for you, that's, that's your next step. Maybe your help prayer is going to be answered by a counselor. My prayer is that our help prayer would be answered in community and that maybe counseling is a part of that, but also the community at Damascus Road, maybe the community of your home, wherever it is that God would use community to begin to pull these things out of our hearts, that these things that are hidden and causing death, that we begin to reveal them and experience life and transformation. And so that's that practice. Share some stuff with some people. And then the third practice is make right what you've make right what you've done wrong. Make right what you have done wrong. Apologize and confess to those people that you've hurt. Invite them into reconciliation. Own all that is yours. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's your kids. Um, this is painful. This is painful to go to somebody and say, I'm sorry. I did this. I did X. For parents, this is, you can live this out probably one of the best ways and, and just show and disciple your kids how to do this by living it out with them. Um, I remember when I was a kid, some of the most impactful moments was when my parents would take responsibility for their actions, for their anger, for their frustration, and apologize to us kids. Instead of hiding it, instead of pretending that that didn't happen, they would come to us and they would explain what would happen. When I was growing up, Satan basically lived at the gas station for my mom. Every time we go to the gas station, someone would cut her off. She'd be in a hurry. She'd be running late. She's just like, I've got to fill up gas. It would always be more than what she wanted to pay. She'd have to go inside and pay. There would always be a long line of people in her way. And we would end up like peeling out of the gas station about 90% of the time because the gas station just got her goat. But also in that 90% of the time, once she cooled off, she'd turn to the back seat and she'd be like, sorry that I got frustrated. Sorry that I snapped at you when I got in the car. I've got to deal with some things. And I've been praying for God to help me at the gas station. And I don't know why he's not done it yet. But she was honest about where she was. She owned her stuff, and she asked for forgiveness. And I'll tell you what, my respect for my parents in those moments, like, grew tenfold. When my parents would be transparent and honest and treat us like human beings, not someone to just, like, be passed over in the family, but, like, looked at us and saw us and said sorry to us, like, especially where there was offense, like, Man, those were some powerful 
bonding moments and healing moments in our family. And my parents were intentional about that. I'm thankful. And I just I want to encourage you as parents to be able to go and do that and model that to your kids. To ask forgiveness from your kids. There could be, sometimes I don't think there's a more powerful thing that you can do. And maybe it's been years, but still just go and ask for forgiveness of your kids. I believe God will bring healing in those places. Now I know, I know that as I talk about these three practices that there might be some barriers popping up in your soul. I mean, you might be thinking like, you know what, like that's great, Justin, if like I was really dealing with some stuff, but you know what, I don't feel like I need a whole lot of help right now. I don't feel like my life is that messed up. And the, the problem is that with the danger of that is that we could run into living these conventionally decent lives if we begin thinking that way. If we're thinking that, like, yep, this isn't for me. I don't really need that. That's good. That's for people that, that really need it. And the reality is that it was conventionally decent people that killed the church. It is conventionally decent people that killed the church. And it's also conventionally decent people that killed Jesus. And so it's my prayer that we would put to death this desire to be conventionally decent people. And that we would have this desire to be real and honest and transparent and messy. And to be able to love and forgive and have grace for one another. Because the reality is we all need help. The final barrier is that <laughs> maybe you're just sitting here thinking, you're like, I don't want this. I don't want to do this. And I get that. I get that a lot. Just, I don't want to spend the time to review my day and for that to be painful. I don't want to spend the time to be vulnerable with a group of people and share my stuff. I get that. But this is what Jesus has called us to do. And Jesus says that when we do this, healing happens. And the reality is that when it comes to following Jesus, our want should have nothing to do with it. In being a disciple and being a follower of Jesus, it should our desire and our need for the statement, I want to come out of our mouths in following Jesus, should have died a long time ago. But maybe it's still alive in you. Maybe it's still alive right now. And hopefully tonight or this morning is a time where we can come together and we can put that to death. This idea that, well, I want. Of course you don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. But we need to do this if we're going to experience kingdom breakthrough, if we're going to experience transformation. And so my prayer for us this morning is that we would pray, God, help. God, help me. Help us live lives that are fully dependent upon you. Help me put to get death my need for independence. Help me put to death my need to be able to appear and look strong. And help us. Just help us, God. Help us experience kingdom breakthrough in our lives. And that hopefully that would break through into the lives in the city. So God, my prayer is help us. Amen. Let's pray and we'll begin to worship and praise the God who has come to be our helper and who has come to live inside of us as our help. All right, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that we have to be together. And God, I pray that we would not allow these barriers to get in the way of asking for help, of living out help with one another. God, I pray that you would come and that you would restore us that you'd bring new life to us, and God, that you would bring healing to us, and that we would find places where we could get real, where we could be honest, where we could let our junk out, 
and be true to you and true to one another. And God, I pray against the idea of shooting against ourselves. And God, I pray that we would experience your love and your grace and your power in our lives. God, humble us and allow us to ask for help sooner than later. In your name we pray. Amen.